And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three psalms, one psalm each week, asking the question, who is this God whom we meet when we pray? So when we pray, to whom are we speaking? What's he like? When the writers of the psalms put pen to paper, what were they celebrating? Who is this God? And so this morning, we're going to begin with Psalm 46. So if you have a Bible with you, please open to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to borrow one. We've got Bibles in these black chair pockets and at the ends of the side aisles. So borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Psalms, so Psalms is almost right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. If you just find the middle and crack it open, you're going to be close after Job, before Proverbs, Psalm 46. And if you're using one of these Bibles we provided, that's on page 403. Um, and it will also be on the screen behind me. So please follow along as I read, beginning with the superscription. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you pray with me? Father, you are the God we come to when we pray. And you are a refuge. And you are a fortress. And you are our strength. And you are our help. And in you we can be glad when the earth is giving way. And so we ask that, that you would be our refuge in this time, that in this time that um, all that's weighing on us, all that's distracting us, all that we've brought in here with us, that we wouldn't escape from it, but that we would find refuge from it in you, that we would come to you in the midst of what's going on and find this to be a place where we hear from you, where we meet with you, and where we are glad. And so, Father, please send your spirit in this time. Let us hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was growing up in America, there were two holiday weekends that bookended the summers. So Memorial Day at the end of May, Labor Day at the beginning of September. In between that was no school and summer break. And my family would often use those long weekends to go camping, not glamping, with electricity and television and air conditioning, but camping in tents on the ground. And we were camping on one of those weekends when we began to hear sirens. 
not the sirens of emergency vehicles, but the wail of a tornado siren. There'd been a funnel cloud spotted in the area of the campground, and so we all went into the nearest bathroom and huddled on the concrete floor and just waited, and eventually the siren stopped and the park ranger came and said, it was all clear that the, the tornado had hit a, a town on one side of the campground and the other side of the campground, but in between was fine. We could go back to our camping. And that, that was just part of living in the American Midwest. Part of growing up where I grew up was that you, you knew what to do when tornadoes form. You seek shelter. You get in the basement or an interior room with no windows. You seek a refuge. When trouble comes into our lives, we naturally seek a refuge. We seek safety a place to hide, peace in the midst of the storm. Whatever the trouble is, whether it's problems at work or problems at home or problems in our own body, when trouble comes, we seek refuge, maybe in some place, but more often in something or in some relationship. And Psalm 46 tells us that only one refuge never fails us. There's only one place we can go where we can be truly, eternally safe. The book of Psalms is the songbook of the Bible. It's a collection of 150 poems written to be sung by God's people as they gather in worship. So if you just look at that superscription where we started reading, you can see this. It says, to the choir master, right? This was for worship of the sons of Korah. And those were singers that served at the temple in Jerusalem. According to Alamot, a song. It's a song to sing. And some psalms some psalms are in the form of prayers. They're addressed directly to God. So if you just flip over maybe one page to Psalm 42, you can see how that begins. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's a prayer addressed to God. But other psalms are confessions of faith, expressions of confidence in God. And this is one of those psalms. It's not a prayer. But if we give our attention to it this morning, it's going to help us in our praying. There are three truths in Psalm 46 that if you really get them, will change the way you experience the trouble of daily life in this fallen world. So here's the first one. First truth, God's people will have trouble. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It doesn't say that God will keep us out of trouble, keep us from trouble, but that in trouble, he will be a refuge, a strength, a help. God's people will have trouble. God does not exempt us from the reality of living in a fallen world with sin and sickness and conflict and death. He doesn't put us in a protective bubble and let us just float through life unscathed. And it's vital that we understand that for at least two reasons, okay? And one of them is that since it's true, trouble is coming for you. Trouble is coming and if you don't know it, you can't prepare for it. And this psalm is in your Bible in part to get you ready for suffering so that when it comes, you know how to think about it and what to do with it. And the second is that there, were people, there are people who will try to lead you to lead you believe that if God favors you, he will keep you from all trouble. So he will prosper you materially, he will protect you physically, he will make your dreams come true. And if you believe that, if you buy that, then when trouble comes, you'll think it's because you don't have God's favor. He must not love you, or uh, you must have done something wrong. You think, the reason I'm having trouble is because I'm not good enough, or my faith isn't strong enough, and at the very moment you should be rushing to God, you're going to wonder whether he wants you. This was the error Job's friends made. You remember Job? The book of Job? This is how the book of Job begins. This is how he introduces him. 
There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That was God's assessment of Job, blameless. But Job suffered horribly. He lost all of his wealth. All ten of his children died on a single day. And he was afflicted with this painful skin disease that made him an outcast from society. He was sitting out in the garbage heap alone. And his friends came to him and they said, basically, you must have sinned. They said, God is just. He wouldn't punish someone who was living the right way. So you must have done something, Job. You, you must have sinned. If you would just repent, then this will all go away. They believed, they assumed that upright people wouldn't suffer, and they were wrong. What about Abraham, the man of faith, who with his wife Sarah suffered through decades of infertility? Or David, who spent years in the wilderness on the run because King Saul was trying to kill him? Or the prophetess Anna, who greeted Jesus in the temple? Anna, who spent all but seven years of her adult life as a widow? Or the Apostle Paul, who was whipped and stoned and shipwrecked three times. Or Jesus, who never sinned a single time and experienced rejection, betrayal, hunger, thirst, and a brutal murder. God's people will have trouble. Why? If, if God loves us, why doesn't he just protect us from all of it? It's because God has an agenda greater than our comfort. He wants us to know him to know him deeply. And there are ways of knowing God that we will never come into if we're never in a position where trouble comes and we need a refuge. Listen, Christians can lose their jobs. Christians can have rebellious children. Christians can be deceived and cheated. Christians can be gossiped about. Just like everybody else, we experience infertility and stillbirth. We contend with chronic pain and mental illness and addiction. Christians are in many places persecuted for their faith, even to the point of death. And when trouble comes, just like everybody else, we're going to seek a refuge. And every refuge but one will fail us. So where do you go when trouble comes? Where do you turn in your thoughts? How do you spend your time? Many of us, when trouble comes, we take refuge in our savings account. We say, well, as long as I'm financially secure, I'm going to be okay. Or we take refuge in our family. We say, well, as long as I have my spouse and my kids, I can be happy. Or we take refuge in our own strength. We say, well, I'm, I'm still young. I'm healthy. I'm smart. I can figure my way out of this. I can, I can do this on my own. Or we live in denial. We just think the trouble's going to pass on our own. Or we distract ourselves with travel or entertainment or work. But none of those refuges will do. They will all let us down. Now, you guys remember, I'm assuming the story of the three little pigs, right? There's these three pigs, siblings, and they build three houses, right? One made of straw and one of sticks and one of bricks. And when the big bad wolf comes and blows down the house of straw, where does he go? He runs to the house of sticks. And then the big bad wolf comes and he blows down the house of sticks and they run to the house made of brick, right? And that's what we're like with these false refuges. We just run into one and then when it fails us, we just run to the next. We we say, as long as we have our health, we'll be okay, and then we get sick. Well, but as long as I have my money, I'll be okay, and then the stock market tanks. Well, as long as, as, long as we have our family, we'll be okay, and then our kids move away, and they don't call. We keep find, trying to find our security in things that can be taken from us. 
Haven't you found this to be true? God's people will have trouble. And this church, this community, needs to be a safe place for people in trouble. We need to be able to tell each other our troubles and be accepted, not be judged. And we need to help each other prepare for trouble because it's coming. Now, if God's people have trouble, just like everyone else, then what good is Christianity? Does it make any difference at all? Yes. Second truth, God is greater than our trouble, and he is with us. So let's look at this picture the psalmist paints here. Beginning in verse 2, he says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is a picture of God's people in big trouble, right? You would think that if there's anything in the world you could depend on, it would be a mountain, right? Mountains aren't going anywhere. And yet here, the mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea. If mountains are falling into the ocean, that's big trouble. And we see another kind of trouble here. So you see in verses 4 and 5, he talks about this city, the city of God, right? The city that God is in the midst of. And then in verse 6, it talks about how the nations are raging. And so the picture here is this is something that they would have, there would have been a great fear of in, in the time that this was written, a siege, right? A walled city surrounded by enemies, enemies who are trying to stop all supplies in, who are trying to build ramps to come over the walls, who are trying to bang down the gates, anything to get in and conquer. So all around the city of God's people, you have these natural disasters, mountains falling into the sea, you've got nations raging, trying to get in, and what's it like inside? Are they, are they fearful and panicked and desperate? No, look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Inside this city, surrounded by trouble, there is gladness and peace and confidence. Why? Because God is in the midst of her. She won't be moved. God's going to help her. I love this picture of the river whose streams make glad the city of God. So this, you have to use your imagination a little bit, but imagine you're in a besieged city. You're, you've got enemies all around you. You're cut off from the outside world. What is your most crying need? You need water, right? You can't live if you can't drink. And he's saying that in the city of God, surrounded by trouble, there's a river whose streams make it glad, that there's an endless supply of life, that they can, they can wait, they can hold out, they can wait upon the Lord because they can live surrounded by trouble because God is in the midst of them. They have life. You have, this is what it's like to have God with you in your trouble. You have deep reserves of joy and gladness that sustain you when the world around you is giving way. Elizabeth Elliot is one of my heroes. She moved to Ecuador in the 1950s with her husband Jim to try to reach this remote tribe with the good news about Jesus. And he, along with four other missionaries, was speared to death when he and Elizabeth had only been married three years, less even. And then later she married Addison Leach, who was a seminary professor, and he died after four years of cancer. Elizabeth Elliot loved God, and she had trouble and she found her refuge in God. She wrote that the experience of losing a spouse feels like being inside Psalm 46. She said, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. 
Every false refuge will fail. The only refuge that cannot be shaken is God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's our fortress where we run in trouble. Even when the whole world is shaking, God will not let us be moved. He can make us stand when life is beyond us. He will be our strength. And the reason he can do that, the reason we can be confident in that, is that God is greater than our trouble. He was greater than the trouble that his people faced in this psalm. So, right, the earth is giving way. But what does it say in verse 6? He utters his voice, the earth melts. I mean, the earth obeys just his voice. He's greater than the earth. We've got these nations raging, but he's greater than the nations. Look at verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God goes to war for his people, and he wins all by himself. He's the one that breaks the bow. He's the one that shatters the spear. And and some people who have studied the psalm think that it was written after a particular episode, a particular deliverance in in the history of God's people. So when Hezekiah was king of Judah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came into Judah to try to conquer it. And and Judah was this tiny little kingdom, right? And Assyria was this massive empire. It should, have been, it should have been no contest. But Hezekiah and the people in the city of God, they prayed and they sought God. And this is what happened. It tells us in the book of 2 Kings, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. The angel went out, he did it by himself, and after that, the Assyrians left. The people of Judah, they didn't even need to fight. They just came out of the city and their enemies were gone. God fought for them. He broke the bow and shattered the spear. He burned the chariots with fire. He showed that he was greater than our trouble. God made everything. He rules everything. There's nothing too hard for God. He is greater than our trouble, and he is with his people. And how do we know that God is with us? When when trouble comes, we're going to want to know that we know that God is with us. How can we be sure? When the earth gives way, when you get the pink slip, when the test results come back positive, you're going to want to know that he's with you. Now, there's a subtle hint in this passage that, that answers that question. And so here's, I want you guys to follow me here. So we saw that this trouble that God's people are in, this is big trouble, right? The whole earth is shaking. The earth is coming undone. The nations are raging. And then they're, then they're just gone, And that language, the the psalmist is trying to get us to think of something. He's trying to remind us of something with this. It's just kind of over the top, right? It's not just an earthquake, but the whole mountain is falling. He's reminding us that one day God will come to judge the world. God will come to rid the world of all unrighteousness, of everything that's not pleasing to him. And when he comes, the earth is going to be unmade. The rocks are going to split. The earth is going to shake. The nations are going to tremble before him. And he's, the psalmist is showing us that even when God comes to judge the world, his people are going to be safe and glad. Now, how could that be? Because someone has already taken God's judgment for them. Jesus came into the world for this purpose. He lived a perfect life, a life that deserved God's approval, But on the cross, he chose to take our judgment, the punishment our sins deserve. Do you guys remember what happened to creation when Jesus was on the cross? There was darkness, 
over the whole land. And Luke tells us, or Matthew tells us, that, that the, the earth shook and the rocks split. Now, why did that happen? It happened because the world was coming undone because God's son was taking God's judgment so we could be rescued from it. The only thing that could ever come between us and God is our sin. And everyone who has trusted in Jesus has had their sin taken away forever. That's how we can know that God is with us. He gave his own son's life so that nothing could ever come between us. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So does Christianity make any difference at all in trouble? Yes. All the difference in, our world, in, in the world, in our trouble, we have, someone who is, we have someone to go to who is greater than our trouble and loves us. He has become the refuge from our greatest trouble, our sin, which means that no trouble, there's no trouble we can't bring to him and find help in time of need. Each time we come, we will more deeply experience his love and care and goodness, and all of our trouble will bring us closer to him. And what will our lives look like when we have this refuge? What does this make possible? The third and final truth is confidence that God is with us replaces fear with trust. I said at the beginning that some psalms are prayers to God and some are confessions of faith. They're expressions of confidence. Listen to this faith in verse 1 again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. That's more than a confession of faith. It's a cry of defiance. No matter what comes, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter how the enemy takes aim at us, we will not fear fear. That's what's possible when God is your refuge. You can face trouble, you can face uncertainty with confidence and without fear. We can be like this city, right? The city, the earth is giving way, we will not fear. The nations are raging, we will not fear. We will be glad. God is in our midst. He will help us when morning dawns. We just have to wait a little bit longer, and we can because he's with us. And some of you have a hard time believing that you could ever not be fearful, that you could have a restful heart even when things in your life are out of your control, even when your kids are away at school and you can't do anything to keep them safe, or when your future seems to hang on one exam, or when you can't see a way out of debt. And I don't want to discount the reality that there are things in our bodies, because we live in a fallen world, that make some of us more anxious than others. But this psalm holds out to each of us the hope that as we grow in our confidence that God is with us, this great God, that fear can be replaced with trust. In the house at my parents' farm, on the wall over the kitchen sink is written, verse 10 from this psalm, be still and know that I am God. That might be the most famous part of this psalm. And what's strange about that is there's not like this, there's not even a consensus about what that's talking about. So, Right there, God is speaking, right? We know that. Be still and know that I am God. But the people aren't even in agreement about who he's speaking to, right? He could be speaking to his people and he could be saying to them, be still. You can relax. You can rest easy because what does he say? He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, He's saying, you can can relax because I am the one who's going to be greater than all your troubles 
and I will be exalted for it. But he also might be speaking to his enemies, right? He's just broken the bow and shattered the spear and burned the chariots with fire, and he might be saying to them, be still, stop fighting against me. I am going to be exalted. You can never win against me, so come to me instead. But either way, the result for us is the same. We can know that in our trouble, it is this God who is with us, the God who will be exalted. No one will get the better of him. No one will thwart his purposes. He's promised to be our refuge and strength, and no one can stop him. So in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the shaking, we can be still. We can have peace. I love that story in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, right? And all of a sudden, this great storm kicks up, and the waves rise, and they're coming into the boat. And where is Jesus? He's sleeping in the stern on a cushion. In, so in, in this life-threatening storm, Jesus is asleep. How? Confidence in his Father. He knew that nothing could harm him except by the will of his Father, so he could sleep in the storm. And when the disciples woke him up, they said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? He rebuked them for their lack of faith. Why? Because God was with them in the boat. What did they have to be afraid of? Psalm 46 says that God is with us in the boat. He's with us in the earthquake. He's with us in the city. He's with us in the struggling marriage. He's with us in the undiagnosed symptoms. He's with us in the unemployment and in the downturn. When, when Kim's and my younger son, Asher, was born, he was having, like, he had a little trouble breathing and eating, and so he spent a week in intensive care, a week in the NICU. And he was never really sick or in danger, but it was a hard week because they could never tell us when he was coming home. They could just say, well, as soon as he can eat, he can come home. And so just day after day, we were waiting on, you know, when, when is this going to be different? When is he going to, it was the week of Christmas. Like, when is he going to come home? And that week, God brought my attention to a verse from the book of Deuteronomy. It says, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And even though the things that were happening in our family was, were not what I wanted to be happening, I knew that God was holding us, that our family was safe in him. He was our dwelling place. He was our refuge. And I say that not to hold us up as examples, but to tell you from experience that the presence of God makes it possible to have genuine peace in the midst of trouble. Do you know this peace? Has your fear been replaced by trust because you know that God is with you in your trouble? If not, is it because you haven't yet begun a relationship with this God? Do you know that he made you and he loves you and if you will lay down your resistance and come to you, he will forgive you and become your dwelling place? He doesn't ask that you clean yourself up but only that you recognize your need and come to him. The God we meet in prayer is our refuge. We can come to him in trust. So what is your trouble today? What is shaking in your life? What's been lurking at the back of your mind all morning, and every time you remember it, your heart just sinks? Bring that to God in prayer. Prayer is how we take refuge in him. Express to him your confidence that he is with you. Ask him to sustain you through the trouble and accomplish all of his work in it. Ask him to deliver you out of the trouble. Don't distract yourself or root your assurance in anything that can fail you. Find your refuge alone in God. Know that when you come to him, you come to a God who knows trouble intimately, 
who became a man and suffered all the trouble this world has to offer. He knows your griefs and your temptations and your cares. He knows how to help. He took your greatest trouble, your sin upon himself, so that nothing could ever separate you from his love. Let's go to him now in prayer. Jesus, we praise you for all that you've done to become our refuge. That because of your love and your compassion, because even when we were dead in sin and far from you, you wanted to be our dwelling place, that you pursued us to death. That you came to take all of our sin away so that we could be in you safe forever. And I ask that you would take pleasure in your people this morning, that as we trust in you, and as we take refuge in you, and as we praise you, that you would rejoice and be glad that you gave your life to purchase a bride, a people for your own possession. And I pray, God, that as we, as we experience the trouble of this world this week, that we would find safety and rest and peace of heart in you. And we say together, as we always want to say when trouble comes, we say, come Lord Jesus. We know that when you come, that you will rid the world of sin and suffering and sadness. And we ask that you would come, Jesus, that we would see you come and that you would take us to be with you forever. Please make us a people that draws near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.